Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? Jeff Henderson here from warriorlife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 472. All right, so I'm going to tell you right now that this week's episode is a huge departure from anything that you've ever heard from me before. In fact, I actually don't even know how to describe it to you other than you can pretty much just start scratching your head right now. I, I just got permission to share with you a roundtable discussion that I took part in on the Defenders Live podcast with Laura Thorson on the topic of what makes a strong man. Now, to start, obviously, this topic is insanely subjective and every person is going to have their own definition of what strength means in being a man. But what happens when you throw a strong woman a cop and two combat veterans into a meeting room to open up their insides and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of everything from trading bullets with an adversary to the strength it takes to tap into your soft, gooey, sensitive side. Everything pretty much just goes foobar from there. So there is no other way to prepare you for what's coming up. So strap in and get ready for a few laughs, a raised eyebrow or two, and a whole lot of fun. And now, let's enter the Warrior Strength Lab. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. My question to you guys is we're going to discuss um, what a strong man is, and that's going to lead, I think, into other things. But first, I'd like you guys to tell me what you picture. When you picture a strong man, what do you picture? Who do you picture? And same with a weak man. What qualities, characteristics, traits, tendencies, whatever. So I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Um, I guess when I look at a strong man, I look at my dad, uh, right? Uh, grew up normal farm kid, Illinois, um, but later U.S. Army. Um, and he became a spy, basically, a spy satellite guy. Um, uh, did some pretty interesting things in the military there. Uh, most of it in Ethiopia before Haile Selassie was deposed uh, by the communists. Uh, but did some interesting stuff there, uh, spying against the Russians and a couple others. Um, later, did a complete complete reversal, right? Well, before he did that, he then he got hired on by GE and he invented the fourth computer chip in the world, which so, sounds weird to say invented because it was completely different than everything else that had been on the market. Uh, but he built that under a GE patent um, and then ultimately had to train a ton of people from NASA to GE to from what I understand, DARPA and those type of things. Um, of course, the world moved on. Then he made a completely different uh, change, and he became, oddly of all things, a pastor, a missionary, and then spent a lot of I grew up because of him and grew up in West Africa, and then later, once the perestroika happened, the wall came down, uh, East Berlin wall came down. Then they later moved to, say, Russia, Moldova, and went through a lot of hardship, a lot of hardship, both in Africa and then over there in, in Russia. I got to go spend time with them, of course, in Russia too. Saw, saw, saw what they were doing. Then later, um, after a bunch of things were established from the Christian perspective in, in the Russian bloc countries, then he went back to Africa and spent time in those in those areas. Um, and just, just the extreme hardship he's been through. Um, I, I, I find 
a good man like my dad is tends to be or tries to be as intelligent as they can possibly be, right? Always a student of things uh, as he is. Uh, extremely thoughtful. Also probably the toughest man I've ever met in my life. Um, one of the strongest men I've ever met in my life. Um, he had me working out with him from the time I was five or six years old. Uh, you know, he'd been in a circus. He was a gymnast. He was a state champ wrestler. You name it, that type of guy. And it just, it just always seems like the most empathetic kind, tough, strong, can be very mean when need to be, um, uh, can, can, can even be, as I've seen, violent when need to be, um, and explosively so, yet rarely so because he usually used his head, always used his head to get out of what he could, um, but uh, just, just an amazing type of person who, who's just, who's always deeply thoughtful, um, always a student, able to be and practiced, practiced the art of extreme violence when needed, um, but had a deep love for his fellow human being and just a, a deep love, not just for them as a person, but for their soul. And that type of caringness was what I came to view as part of what makes a truly strong man. And it's, uh, it's something I've tried to emulate all my life. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, th Anything? I think, um, yeah, a lot of what, I mean, it's interesting. I think more and more as men have been tested, I think we've come to appreciate more of the soft side of being strong, which is it's just interesting the way that, that Adam described his father and being hard when it needed to be and get caring and empathetic. And, and I think the, it seems to me like the further you, especially those of us in the industry or been in, in combat in military or anything, it's like you, the more you have to push your activities to the side of being the strong man that protects and is self-protected and really focusing in on your own survival and, and taking care of your family and protecting them. It seems like the more you understand the other side of it as well. Um, I think that's why a lot of, you know, they say that in World War II, a lot of the soldiers were shooting, you know, above the heads of, of the enemy because there's a there's a there's a personal kind of like instant understanding that happens when you're in a situation where it's a life or death situation. And not just it's not just your own mortality, but I've talked to a lot of veterans also about this. And it's just it's also about seeing more of the even of yourself and the enemy sometimes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, the things that you're going through, the soft side of the things that you go through in times of stress, whether it's combat, whether you're a police officer, whether it's you're a firefighter going into a building, those hard things tend to like extract, I think, the soft influences that we've had in our lives and the things that we care about. And then it's interesting because you also see that in other people around you. I think after that, it's a very it can change you in, in when you have those those experiences like that. Hmm. You know, it, it, I don't want to step on uh, JT here, but uh, Jeff, you just said something very interesting about seeing yourself in the enemy's eyes. Right. I've always looked at it as there, but for the grace of God, go I. Right. I, I've arrested thousands, if not tens of thousands of people as a police officer, been a lot of different fights 
uh, both mortal and not. And, and I can tell you so many times I've looked at the people that I've been dealing with and just think, you know, but for the grace of God, I could be right here too. I could be the one sitting in these handcuffs. I, I could be, and sometimes should have probably been that, that dude going to, going to jail for a while. Um, you know, it, or for, but a stupid moment, had I let something slip, could I have not been there too? And then I looked at, I looked at a lot of the people that, that, that fought against us overseas, right? We, we, we endured some violence overseas, not just in the military, but as a missionary kid growing up, you sit there and go, you know, but for the grace of God being born as an American, here's where I'd probably be too, right? I might be Hamas lobbing rockets at Israel simply by, by birth or something like that. And, and, and it's just, it's so interesting as you said that to yourself in these enemy's eyes. I mean, that could easily have been us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I think I want to shift gears in, into a different part of this. And I think one thing growing, you know, I've always thought I was a, a man, uh, or a, you know, a manly man. But if I look back even 20 years, I think one thing that, um, I didn't have back then that I have now is accountability, um, personal accountability for my, my actions. As I get older, I realize how important that is. And so I think that that is um, one of those control measures, essentially, is and vulnerability when you're able to uh, accept that you've messed up and stop blaming and just start taking accountability. It's pretty crazy. And I just this last weekend, I brought in a guest speaker um, to this event and I wanted him to talk about, you know, I wanted him to talk about resilience uh, in, in this line of work. And so I brought in um, great dude, but he didn't, he didn't talk about that because he, he didn't want to be vulnerable. You know, he didn't want to talk about his failures. He didn't want to talk about his current failures. He didn't want to talk about any of that stuff. He wanted to tell you the five steps to becoming a seal to a bunch of guys who are already uh, operating in, in different capacities, right? And so um, it was very, very, uh, I realized it wasn't genuine at all. And I realized that he was keeping, you know, he wants to have this facade of like, hey, look, I've got big muscles. I've got these credentials. Right. I thought, man, you're going to come here in front of these guys that are that are a mess. You know, a lot of these dudes. I mean, we had a guy from last year's competition go and kill himself afterwards. You know what I mean? And and so it it's just like you've got a lot of guys fighting quiet fights that they're not talking about. And for me, a man needs to be able to say, hey, look, these these are the things I'm failing in. These are the things that I should have done better, you know, and that is going to be. Uh, more of a masculine thing to me than you just being like, yeah, dude, I shoot people in the face and, you know, my life's perfect. You should, insta you know, Instagram, what's that Instagram mm -hmm. life where you, mm -hmm. everyone's on vacation and in beautiful places all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So if there's nothing left to be said about what, the, what a strong man is and the traits and characteristics, then tell me then what are the characteristics of a weak man that you can picture in your mind. Don't name any names. Dishonesty. <laughs> yeah, dishonesty. If you are, if you find yourself lying a lot, then I think you're a weak man. Yeah. Let's say another trait is needing others' approval all the time. 
right? Or, or needing right. their approval, right? When you need somebody else's approval, I think in the same vein of what JT just said, you're being dishonest with yourself too, right? And uh, uh, another one I'd say is 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 selfish. And I'm not talking just they want all the stuff. Is is it's part of trying to get society's approval, um, trying not to look bad, which I think is is kind of the root cause of what I'd say most problems in the world is a, is a selfish viewpoint or a self-focused viewpoint, and then trying not to not to appear bad to others. Um, so I'd say that's that's very much a sign to me of a weak person is if they constantly got to have others' approval, right? They're they're always always looking for approval somehow, some way. And in today's social media world, that seems rampant. Um, that, that's, that's always a warning bell to me. What do you think, Jeff? I think there's a, a long laundry list of, of characteristics that we could, we could, you know, probably all negative characteristics, but I think like we talked, we've talked about this before where the, you know, one of the three tenets of, of our like warrior lifestyle thing is, is about being self-made, which is kind of like the most ambi ambigu ambiguous, ambiguous. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. It's just um, like, what does that even mean? And so we've had to really think about that because there were so many different factors that we were trying to capture in, in fake warriors that we saw out there. You know, JT did a great job of talking about somebody that is somebody that you would look at and see as like a strong warrior by the, by the look of it. Right. And so we, we get caught up in these, like accepting the projection that somebody else has out there, like how they're carrying themselves, how they look, how big their muscles are, how great they are on the range. And, you know, I'm sure JT can, and, and Adam can also see, like we've seen people that were super strong. And when you look at them, they have this projection and then when bullets start flying, I, I mean, I've seen just the, the hardest, strongest guys just crumble down into a puddle mm -hmm. and just not be able to do anything. And likewise, I've seen people that you would look at and think there's weak, just rise to the occasion. And they just like they just freaking go out there and and Rambo the <laughs> Rambo the place. So it's just it's like it's hard to really tell what's happening on the inside from what's on the outside. And that can have mm -hmm. good and bad consequences. But I think it's become really easy for, um, I see it a lot in our industry where it's like, if I slap on the camo, if I paint the Punisher logo on the, on the, the grip of my gun, like I'm, I'm a strong man and you just don't know. It's hard to really get across to people. Like until you got a bullet buzzing by your ear, like you really don't know what you're going to do. And that brings in, you know, the training for resilience and like, how do you push through and how do you, I, I think it's too easy to just buy the t-shirt, buy the bumper sticker and call yourself strong. Um, but like the truth is going to come out. Hopefully it never has to, but at that moment where your family's looking into your eyes, cause you're the only thing standing between them and danger. That's when we're going to see like, you can't like, that t-shirt isn't going to scare anybody Can't away. Like it. you have to have something yeah. that's going to, that's going to back it mm -hmm. up, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think well, with that to give you like something to go, to go along with that. But I think the ability to take an honest look at yourself, um, because honest, if your mission yeah. is to be, is to protect yourself and protect your family or whoever, if that's your mission, then there's nobody that can say, well, a t-shirt will take care of that mission or a bumper sticker will take care of that mission. Like the only thing that takes care of that mission is your training and your preparation and and doing the work 
that it takes to really actually be able to do that stuff, you know, and be able to be that warrior. Yeah. I think that the guys who advertise it the loudest are often the most disappointing mm-hmm. in performance, you know, and that's, um, that's something that maybe just the last 20 years I've just noticed is that, you know, the guys with the Punisher, the, you know, and the, and the hunt, you know, hunter local terrorists stickers and all, all this stuff. They're, they're the worst. They're the, um, excuse me. You'll have to edit out that. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in. That ma- that ma- masculine. That was a pure masculine <laughs> sneeze, but, um, yeah. Um, one of the other things too, that I would say is, is, um, discipline, you know, we have to start doing hard things and uh, we have to make ourselves do it. And that's, you know, you've got all, every dude from, uh, you know, who's going to carry the boats to friggin' Jocko, you know, you've got all these guys who are saying the same, same thing. But the reality is, is I think as a masculine man, you, a masculine man, you have to force yourself to do things you don't necessarily want to do, you know? Um, and that kind of goes back into the selfishness part that that Adam was talking about is uh, I think sometimes we tend to put ourselves above everybody else around us and we have to be constantly auditing that and making sure that we're actually as selfless as we can be, you know? <laughs> Jeff, you, you said, you said some of your three tenants, the first one you mentioned was be a self-made person. What What are the other two? Uh, self-reliant and self-protected. Just basically unplugging from the system, realizing that during times of crisis, like you're you're where the rubber meets the road. Okay, you guys have any other thing thoughts before I move to my next thought on that? No. So I wanted to get your opinion before I moved on. So. I don't know what you think of John Lovell, warrior poet, but a lot of this conversation came from a video that I watched of his. And so I want to give credit where credit's due. These aren't my words, a lot of these, but I think that these are important to hear. Um, He talks about for the four pillars and in his opinion, the four pillars are physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and that, all of us need to evaluate ourselves. I'm not saying I'm a man, but this is just personal. I mean, or any person, man or woman, doesn't matter. If you're strong, you're strong. If you're weak, you're weak. And all of all of us have these characteristics. So physical is pretty obvious. Can you lift heavy stuff? Are you are you flexible? Are you quick? Are you healthy? All those things. Mental is are you intelligent? Are you educated? Are you a perpetual learner and educated, not necessarily meaning schooling, but life experience creative? Can you solve problems? Do you have grit? Can you embrace the suck? And then emotional is, can you handle anger? Um, How do you handle your entire range of emotions? Which emotions do you repress and which ones do you think are okay to show? Um, are you self-aware? How do you handle disappointment, rejection, and loss? Do you have a tolerance for other people? And are you easy to anger? Do you have a short fuse? And then the spiritual refers to strong moral character. 
which I think we should define character while we're here. But someone that has a great capacity for joy, um, that can readily forgive others, that has a capacity to love deeply, has solid relationships with other people, and have, have built strong integrity and trust within the people in their lives. But what do you think about those? Am I missing anything? And what do we mean by character? I look at character like your legacy. Like what are people at your funeral gonna describe you as? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's how I I look at that is what are, what are people gonna remember you by? And most of that, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's what I look at, the content of your character. Do you think that men have a deep desire to build legacy in their lives? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Um, if you have a genuine love for others mm -hmm. um, or a genuine love just in general, you, you're going to want to take anybody and everybody that you touch, especially your own family, the, the ones that are close to you, that, that are the, 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 the truly your, your heart's friend, um, and family, you're going to want to build them up and you're going to want to just grow them, right? You're a, a legacy is part of coaching others to become better than you could ever be later is the way I see it. And I want my boys, right? I want my kids. I, I want, I want those that I get to work with, with my little company here. I want them to far surpass me in, in the many ways they obviously can, but I want to be a part of that building of those people and uh, building of my sons. And I think that's a natural instinct in anybody who's has a genuine love for others, which ultimately I think builds the legacy JT's talking about. Any other thoughts on that? It's your turn, Jeff. <laughs> I, I think it's, um, I don't really know what the underlying question is, everything. That's a lot to unpack from everything that's yeah. those four, from those four pillars. But just speaking to like legacy, I think I, I look at it a little bit differently. Like I don't necessarily, I don't know, as, as I've gotten older, I'm probably the oldest of this group. And as I've gotten older, it's like I care <laughs> less and less about what anybody thinks about like any, the things that used to be important to me, like last year don't even seem to be important with each birthday. But what does matter to me is how my, my son's 20, my son's 21 now, but like how he thinks about his father is really important to me. Um, I have reconnected with my high school sweetheart and I'm in like finally after I become an expert at marriage an expert at divorce. And, uh, but this time I swear I got it right. And, um, it's just, uh, like it matters to me what she thinks of my character. Like we've known each other for, well, we had like a, a period of almost 40 years where we didn't, we didn't have contact, but it's like, it really matters to me now how, what she thinks of me. And so then I start to take a look at me. It's allowed, it's really forced me to kind of see things that were right in front of me that I didn't even notice before. Um, in, you know, I like, I, I have a tendency to like, envision things much bigger than what I have the capacity to ever get done. And so 
sounds to me, it's like I project this, um, like I'm a big talker, but I don't actually like follow through on things. And I've been starting to see just the sarcastic, you know, comedy signs coming back of, yeah, like, right. Like you're like, you're going to do that. Like, hmm, what does that mean? Like about like me is that, and my son has said similar things and I start to really look at, maybe I need to take some things off of my, my plate and feel like I'm accomplishing more for myself, but then also like projecting that I'm getting things done. So it's like, I really look at myself more through their eyes now and not the stuff that they tell me, but the, like how other people act in relation to me. And um, to me, that's where I, I start to judge, start to take a, a more clearer look, I think in the mirror than I did before. So I think for me, it mat the people that are closest to me, it matters what they think about me and what they see as my legacy, as far as like, mm -hmm. if they were to describe me after my funeral, mm -hmm. what would they, what would they be saying to the people? Oh, my dad was, Oh, this, you know, this way. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So, so let me ask you a question of you other two guys here. Um, do I get to answer the question since I'm not a guy? <laughs> no. Hush. Hush. I'm just facilitating. It is 2023. Uh, um, <laughs> so here's a question for you, right? It, it seems that, that for certain people, I would include myself in here, that there's always a sense of, I wouldn't say self-doubt, but always a sense of questioning, right? Of, of, of going, okay, am I doing the right thing? Did I do that right? Should I have some, something better? It seems like there's a lot of confidence in what I do. Well, I'd tell you skill in some areas. Um, at the same time, a lot of doubt. Go, and it, it just, it almost feels bipolar at times. And, <laughs> and yet, yet I watch people that I look at as, extremely high performers or or extremely well-made men um uh, I, i'd put you two girls right in there right jt and jeff i'd put you right in there right and 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 you sit there and go okay am i the only one that's always feeling like i'm self-examining it, it, it seems like a continuous self-examination which ultimately when you look back the refinement is obvious that comes from that i think it's a good thing but Sometimes I wonder if it's overdone and I watch these dudes that just walk through life and they're confident about everything all the time. And it just seems phony that's sometimes, or maybe, maybe I'm yeah. self-doubting too much. You're the only one admitting. Yeah. I think yeah, but that's that honesty that we were talking about. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff, yeah. Yeah. Both Jeff and I are extremely confident. Don't question yeah. anything we do. <laughs> I'm sorry for you, Adam. Wow, that must have stuck being that week. <laughs> Screw you, people. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll talk because I like to do that. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm always feeling like I'm not, like I'm falling short. Um, yeah. And I don't hang up on it very long. That's for sure. When I feel like yeah. I failed, I. I get over it really quickly. Um, yeah. I mean, a day maybe, you know, and um, on some things, you know, I just yelled at my wife on Sunday in front of 200 people. And I, <laughs> I still have a lot of making up to do for that. And, but I mean, it, it's bothered me. It was bothering me this morning as I was just power washing stuff off. And I, 
Um, and so, I mean, I think we should always be reflecting and refining and trying to be better and recognizing that, you know, one of the craziest things would be if you didn't realize that was so wrong, you know, if you didn't realize that that was so, uh, she didn't deserve that. And so, and, and just a simple apology, that is one of the other things as a man, we cannot apologize for things that we're not sorry for. We got to stop it. You know, I think you're, uh, I don't know how to say this. You can edit this hour, but I think you're a pussy if you're apologizing for everything. If you don't mean your apologies, then they don't, then they're not, um, you know, when you say, oh man, I'm sorry, but you don't give a care, you'll do that again. Then you have just, you have devalued your actual apologies. And so that's one thing with Ton is that I'll say, like, I'm, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry I did that. I still think it's right. We can discuss it and hopefully you can change my mind and I can apologize for something <laughs> different, you know. Um, but I also can recognize when I was absolutely out of line. And, and then I sit on that. I stir on that for a long time. Hmm. Which one of these categories do you guys feel like you need the most improvement in? Definitely mm -hmm. physical for you, Adam. <laughs> hey, I like my tub of goo. <laughs> I just saw it like two weeks ago. It's not a tub of goo. I couldn't stop staring at his body. So. <laughs> the weight of your... For those who don't know, I was just out there at his range in Nebraska, and the weight of his eyes got a little dis disconcerting. <laughs> yeah. I just was staring at him like a piece of meat. <laughs> So, so let, let me, let me talk a little bit about something you said, JT, right? You don't sit and dwell on it, right? I, I find the same thing too. When I screw stuff up, usually it's like, okay, you take the lesson from it and move on. Right. Cause if you sit and waller in it. Uh, I had my, my very best friend, right. Um, he sat and wallered in his sorrows and failures and this and that. And then he decided to suck, start a gun. Right. So, so to me, sitting and wallering in that thing is a useless thing. It's really take the lesson from it and move on. Um, and, and, you know, but yet you sit there and constantly still trying to examine ahead, ahead of what you're doing, what you're thinking and back. And, and that, that process sometimes seems mentally laborious and uh, it gets a little old sometimes. And sometimes I just wondered, okay, do others do that too? Or is this just part of the refinement process that is natural for, for anybody, certainly a man, as they, they move forward and grow in life. And as Jeff, you said, you became a lot more in, introspective. And that's what I feel like it is. And at the same time, I, you don't want to make it too much, you know? Jeff, how many marriages are you on? Uh, this, let's see, one, two, I might have to take off my, uh, my shoes for this one. <laughs> uh, no, this is uh, so one, two, three. So I, I've had three mar three marriages. Yeah, you're in your third. Been there. No, we're not. We're not married yet. You're not married yet. So, yeah, yeah. So forth. So how did you, with all of that, how do you not get jaded? How do you change you? Because I mean, look at twenty years ago, that Jeff, you you probably would have been like, I wouldn't want to be married to me either, you know? And, and now, well, you said something that was really cool 
in the earlier, um, and that was just talking about how important it is that that your fiance, your girlfriend, whatever awesome relationship you've got going on right now, uh, how important it was that she sees the best of you or whatever you know see that you're giving her the right man. Hmm. So uh, anyway, I was just wondering how you you failed multiple times what you've taken from it and how you're not scared to jump back in that fire yeah um first of all it was all their faults not mine so oh, yeah. okay good good there's nothing to uh, not to unpack there but um unquestionable <laughs> but what i what i did realize i mean one it was like my p my p my pts like I understood how that affected my my three marriages and the demise of my marriages. Like I that was partially my role in it. Um, however, I was very true within like within the marriages. Like I did, there was no no cheating or anything like that. But the my last marriage, which I just got out of a, a few years ago, we were married for eighteen years, and wow. it probably served as the biggest lesson for me, which was I think what happens to a lot of guys when we hit our fifties or if people are empty nesters, their kids grow up and, and like you be, you have a certain role, like you have an identity. I, I think um, I'll speak for myself. Like we, I look at myself in the mirror and like, I have an identity, whether I know it or not, whether I'm conscious of what I, I label it as or whatever it is. But um, I started feeling toward the end that I just didn't even know who I was anymore. Like I had no clue who I was anymore. And it was when I was alone again, like uh, we had, two residences and to, for the benefit of my son. And so when I was alone again, like I knew who I was as a soldier. I knew who I was as a husband. I knew who I was as a father. And what I didn't realize is how much I had to change for those roles. Like who had to change who I was. I didn't change who I was mm -hmm. as a father, but being a husband, I had to change little pieces of me over time that weren't good for me. Like I lost the sense of who I am as a person, like the core of who I am. Um, a, a simple example of that is like, I grew up with a very sarcastic humor. Like every, my family, we all make fun of each other. Like, it's just, it's just nonstop insults, but we, but that's how we show love to one another. Well, my last wife, like first date that was gone. Like, okay, well I have to get rid of like my sense of humors, but I think it happens over time is that, these little pieces of you, there's core you, and then there's like, you know, dumbass knucklehead you, right? But like core you that gets chipped off, I think. And then I think what happens to a lot of people that when something shifts, like especially when the kids leave and it's just you and your spouse again, it's like you don't, both of you know who to be as parents and who you're together as parents. But now when you're alone again, you really don't know how to it's unsettling. And so a lot of times, like I didn't know where it was coming from at first. It took me a long time to really figure that out. But um, the, what I learned from that is just to be me. Like, that's the good thing about like, first of all, everybody in my town was sarcastic. And so my girlfriend and I like, we make fun of each other. We just, it's, we have the same sense of humor. Like I don't have to be anybody other than just me. And with my other relationships, I had to, get rid of parts of me in order to be, you know, happy in the relationship. Interesting. Yeah. You can only, you can only pretend 
for so long, I think, without, without. That's a long time though. 18 years. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, when you see, um, when you have a puppy and, and you're raising it and then you see a friend that you hadn't seen in like a few months or whatever, and they see the dog and they're like, wow, that's like, oh my God, he's grown up so much. I'm like, really? He has? And you don't really oh, notice it when it's happening little by little, but then yeah. all of a sudden later on, you like once it hits you in the face, that's where you, you really realize it happens so slowly. You don't real you don't really see it happening. You know? hmm. well, I think a lot of guys can identify that. Yeah. Well, especially when you're involved in the fire of a relationship, it feels like it's spiraling down. Right. Um, JT, you've been through a divorce from what I understand. I've been through <laughs> 16 years of marriage, went through a divorce and man in the middle of the fire, you don't realize who, who, who you become in some ways. And, and it, it's, it's only been in the retrospect later after the divorce and, and all the, just the heartache that comes with that. And then later going into a new relationship and new marriage, how you start looking back on it and realizing, man, there was so much about myself that boy, if I could go back and change with the knowledge I have now today, go back and change back then life would probably be completely different. And uh, boy, that, that's, a, that's a, that's a hard lesson to see in the retrospect from today's eyes. So would you guys go back and change any of that? Like the, like what happened that created who you are today? Would you go back and not have the heartache and the. Wow. That's a tough one, isn't it? Because, well, so let me just tell you, I, uh, I have a command sergeant major who is, is going through a divorce right now. And, and, um, I just said, Hey, have you tried everything, you know, and, and to keep me to keep it together. And he's like, no, I haven't. And I know that there's some other stuff going on there. And long, long story short is that, uh, he's, he said, he's like, no, Tim, uh, would you, if you look back at your last two marriages, would you try everything to be, to continue those, you know, look at where you're at now, who I have an amazing wife, right? I mean, I'm blessed better than I deserve. How in the world could I say, man, I wish I would have gone and fought harder for those last marriages. I wish I would have been better. Now, I, I mean, I am in where I feel like I'm supposed to be. I don't know. I don't know the right answer to that, but you know, and he brought that up. And so I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't, I don't know. I mean, the right answer, society's answer is like, man, really work hard to keep that, keep that marriage together and figure out what's going on and blah, 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 blah. But I would have never met Ton, and Ton is my what is it called? Ying to your Yang or whatever. I mean, she's amazing. So. You you know, Laura answered your question. Um, I wouldn't change the things that I've done or I've gone through. What I'd like to do is change a few of my actions, right, and reactions to my actions. Um, but overall, right? I mean, I, I was in a marriage that needed to die, and it did. And uh, I'm with probably. I don't know. I, I, I got to admit, JT married well, but I think I married well too, man. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't change, trade it for the world. I, so I can't regret those, but what I can regret is the actions that led up to some of the stuff. And on my part, right? Um, I don't think that would have saved the marriage, <laughs> but uh, but I wish there's things I could change. But in the overall, uh, there's no regrets for being where I am today on based on the events in my life that brought me here. Not at all. So we're, we're talking about strong men. Did those make you a stronger man? Did it make you less likely to complain and blame others? Did it make you more introspective? 
did it grow you emotionally or any of those things? Or was it just like, nope, uh, done, moving on, and you're the same person now you were then? I think it made me question more. Um, It it made me realize where my own selfishness lie, um, where my own um, self-focus lied, where my lack of empathy or, or, or love for others was manifesting. And, and, and I, it was not the man I wanted to be, nor the man I grew up admiring. Um, and, and so that caused a lot of internal change. It came through a lot of conflict, right? Uh, personal, internal, emotional, mental conflict, but I think it did. And, and, and it, it was, it was refining. It, it was, it was hard. Um, but yet, the growth process, or at least the result of that now is something that I can sit back and I can look at my kids in the eyes and I can, I can know that I'm, I'm modeling a, a right example for them. Um, and that I'm doing my very best for them. I'm not giving half, half of it, or I'm not sarcastic of somebody else simply because I'm seeing the, the, the terribleness in their own life, you know, that I've married to. And, and, and so now I can, I can, I can look at myself more instead of just focusing on somebody else and blame them for everything. So, so if that answers your question. Yeah. Did your butt fall asleep, JT? What's going on? No, I had a bunch of yellow jackets right there. Oh. So I was like, hey, yeah. just step away for a second. Um, yeah. What do you guys think? Very interested to hear your part, your thoughts, Jeff. Um. Well, none of it was my fault again. So really, there was no need to change anything. Denial. But, uh, denial. You know, I, I think I think a common thread among the people that I, I think I respect the most and what I hear you guys also saying is that I think it's just a natural tendency we have to be to always be self-improving, to always be introspective, to be, always be looking at ways that we can we can improve. Um I can't say I was always like that. I think the military helped me with a lot of, a lot of things with a lot of things. And I think that was part of it is that once I saw what I was capable of, cause I was just a knucklehead. I was, I was literally, I was just going nowhere. And it wasn't until I got in the military and only because the NCOs that were above me put me in, forced me into positions where um, I had to step up or step down. And I saw the benefits of it. And it was really, it changed, it changed my life. But ever since then, I kind of got hooked on self-improvement. Like I just didn't believe on ever, like I'm just constantly trying to get better at whatever it is that, that I find important in my life. And so for me, the, those, those marriages and lessons that I learned, like we're always a state of um, first asking, am, am I, you know, am I right? Instead of just like if something seems wrong or whatever, like um, how am I contributing to this first rather than placing blame out there? And then if, if somebody does have, I mean, even now, if anybody has anything negative, say like you're doing this or you're, whatever it is, like the very first response that I have is to go inside and say, is that true? Because maybe it is like maybe I'm maybe I'm not conscious of how my words are affecting other people or so I always look at myself first rather than outside. And then if it's something that is easy to change and and it's important to somebody, then, you know, I have to make that decision then of whether I change it or not. But 
I think I've just been very introspective. I think maybe even bad marriages have forced me to be more introspective. I mean, my last marriage, we were married for 18 years. We were in therapy for 18 years. So yeah. wow. went through a lot of different office visits there of just really, you know, answering the question, well, how do you feel about that? I don't know. How do I feel about it? <laughs> so it was just, um, I think, I think being able to look at yourself honestly and, and answer yourself consciously, I think is a, is a really, um, an important quality to have. But I think that it's natural. Like it's natural for me to self-improve. I think the same thing for you, Adam, JT, probably the you know, same thing for you guys. Like you only get to where you're at because you didn't have anybody pushing you there or, t or ordering you to do it. It was, there's something inside of you guys that just naturally wants to level up. Mm -hmm. I just level up in marriages. <laughs> <laughs> same. Same. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want to push towards your perfection, Jeff. I really do. I really do. <laughs> so, so it's here, a curse, man. So here, here's a question for you guys too. And Laura, this, this is probably not just from our perspective here too. Um, so I, I, I found that with my military life and then deployment overseas, um, I completely changed from the person I was before one I went in. Um, two later as a cop, I'd tell you there was another complete transformation, probably twice as a cop to where I, again, changed. The person I was, was no longer. It became something, I would tell you more enhanced. Um, I learned more and it became something. And, but, but things change. Am I the only one that does that, has done that? I, I think I've seen that with others. It just seems like as we grow through life, we change in many ways. The core might be the same. But in many ways, our thought process, how we think about things, how we see things, how we react to things changes as much, I would say maturity changes. And it really became becomes a you become a different person. And I've noticed at least three distinct times in my life where I've realized that person I used to be is almost no almost no longer. Right. The exterior focus of it is almost no longer. The interior is somewhat the same. But. But I find I've been that person. I kind of figure that a lot of, especially in the military world, the police world, that's that's a pretty common theme. Am I correct in that? Does that happen for you guys too? Can you can you further define the question? So okay, so so <laughs> thank you, Jeff. I, I went I went into the military as a nice, kind little preacher, missionary kid. You know, careful and apologizing too much and whatever. Just this sweet little missionary kid. Um, I came out of the military um, a much more hardened soul than in the police world. Who, boy, I saw a lot more combat on the streets of America than I did overseas. And 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 boy, that 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 changed things again. It, it made a lot of resolve, um, but it changed again. And then a few different violent encounters cause some more changes. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you guys have gone through the same type of thing as, as seminal, if not seminal moments, but start longer events cause a change of who you are as a person, as you feel. Yeah, I am not the same weenie that I was when I graduated high school that's for sure i would think jeff jeff's probably not either i mean so i i played i was never a weenie 
Oh, well, that's <laughs> I, I was. That was just I, you, I, JT. That's, that makes sense, honestly. And because, believe me, I still think of that. Like, I look back at high school, and I look back at being afraid to hit guys during football games, you know. And now I look back, and I think that's so silly, you know. Oh, <laughs> if, if I could go back now, people would be in the hospital, you know. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, there's, there is a – I believe that there is some – growing and violence maybe what is the what's the word i think so if if we looked at it in a timeline you maybe are not naturally violent i think if you are just born violent you you may not be be healthy right you grow into being able to perform violence then you have to understand it Uh, because i would say i i don't know that i understood it at first i thought just violence was was the only answer and then now i look at it and i look at it as like a necessary evil um that i'm not eager to do you know like you were talking about your dad it's not something i'm eager to do you know when guys talk about you know wanting to go and fight i don't want to go fight i will you know and and i do it for the boys but i don't want to just go kill people that's not fun like that's not and so uh the the violence part is think the violence part has developed over the years to where once you refine it it's it's less less glamorous maybe i don't know how to describe it what do you what i don't i don't know i'm just i understand what you're saying as far as the violence or or just changing the dynamic of it has changed how could it not change you really yeah i think you just understand it more like i think when it's unknown, like people that haven't gone through it, and we talked about people coming to classes or whatever, all, all Gucci'd out with all the tactical gear and everything. Um, a lot of, most times are people that have never experienced what it is that they dream about experiencing. Right. And the reason why they dream about it is because they've never experienced it. And I think when, when you really, when you're sitting at the dinner table with danger and you get to know it, it's mm-hmm. it takes away that mystique and it's like you understand how easy it is i think with with experience like how fragile the human body is and how um so there's a confidence and a, and a and a strength that i think comes with that that knowledge because i think for a lot of guys growing up like i was a weenie in school i was 100 i joined the army at 138 pounds i was like this and so yep. <laughs> yeah it's like i just i don't um I didn't grow up confident. I didn't grow up strong. I felt um, I took martial arts because I needed the confidence that it gave me. And it didn't even give me the confidence. Like I got into fights and and I still like froze. So I didn't have that a natural aggressive nature. And I, and I still don't, but I understand danger enough. And I understand my capabilities that I'm, I'm like totally okay with it now. Cause I know if you have to flip the switch, you just flip the switch mm-hmm. and then you right. just do what you, you do what you do. But I think it's that knowing and that understanding that allows me to not have to wear it around on my chest and my t-shirt and my bumper sticker and everything mm-hmm. else. I don't, yeah. I don't have a need to, for other people to know about that. You know? Yeah. So I guess yeah. I could further say it this way, that it's a change of heart set, not really mindset. Now, Jeff, you said more understanding. And I, I think you're absolutely right in that. And for me, it was more of a heart set change 
that goes above and beyond just a mindset. And, and for me, that's where it felt like that was seminal growth at different times is comfortability with not just violence, but deeper understanding of relationships, of, of more understanding the nuance of the, the, the even the, the little politics of the, the organizations as a part of, but more of, of, of a worldview of it, of, of, of getting more in tune to, or at least reading better what other people's thoughts and feelings were on things. And really more because you've had to endure so much, sit there and realize, okay, there's a lot more depth inside here than I realized. And there's a lot more thought that needs to be packed into things. And, and, and I think those times cause different levels of growth that oftentimes for me felt like it became almost a different person. And it was just really a change of minds, uh, really heart set more than anything else. I still would not wish anyone to have to become intimately familiar with violence. Like no. all of our students that show up, I, you know, my prayer for them is that they go their entire lives never needing the skills. I ne I don't want you to have to audit your skills, uh, you know, in, in real world combat. I don't want that. I don't want that for anyone. Um, I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for, you know, anyone. But I also um, do think that you should be prepared for it. You know, just what, who said it, you know, the the whole warrior in a garden versus a gardener in the war. And, and you should be prepared to audit those skills, but you shouldn't be hoping to audit those skills, you know? Mm -hmm. So we were, we moved in to a, a, from a strong man to a dangerous man, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is good because, yeah. you know, I wanted to actually get into that. Um, I don't know how much more time you guys want to want to spend on this, but we could wrap this up by talking about if you're, unless you have more comments on this, um, yeah. For those men out there who are watching this and they're taking stock of their own weaknesses, right? And we all have different weaknesses in different areas. They probably are looking up to you guys right now and being like, dude, I could never be like those guys. What <sighs> advice would you give to them to like, where do they begin to, to try to start to be a better man, a stronger man. Maybe they didn't have that growing up. Maybe they grew up in a fatherless home. Maybe they didn't have a mentor or a strong leader or mentor in their life. Can they do that on their own without a mentorship or should they reach out or can they be a self-made man, so to speak, as you say, Jeff, what are some beginning steps towards that? Well, I think it's extremely personal. I mean, everybody's so different that you really have to do your own self-assessment about, mm -hmm. about what it means. And we, I talk a lot about the mission drives every, everything for you. So determining who you want to be. Um, and I, I do, I do that more now. Like who would I, who do I want my son? Like, how would I want him to describe me? How would I want my girlfriend to describe me? Like, who do I want them to see me as? And then, Yes or no? Do they see me that way, or or you know, like for me, I'm I get signs that I'm not portraying myself the way that um, I would like them to see me, and but that's not like a projection thing. It's not like I need to put on a different mask. It's what am I doing? Like what are my actions? Uh, because actions always speak louder than words. So what are they getting from my actions that I'm not being seen the way that I would like to be seen? And so. Then, you know, for me, it's all 
kind of like a decision tree. It's like, okay, well, is that a quality I, I like about myself? Like I'm good with that or, and you know, there's just going to be a discrepancy there or is it something that I want to change? And then how do I change it? So it's, for me, it's always like a mission. It's always like, there's the objective. All right, now it's time to figure out the operations order. Like, what do I need to do in order to, to get there? And um, so for, for me, it's, it's about doing a, like an honest self-assessment about what's important to you, what's important in your life. And that drives every, that, that drives everything. It drives your actions. It drives your decisions. It drives how you project yourself, how you, even how you dress. Maybe it, it's just, but I think you really have to um, set that intention and then take a, an honest self-assessment. Honest being the key word. Yeah. Cause we all have blind spots. We don't want, I mean, I think we know we have blind spots and there's some we don't want to look at. Yeah. That's why I think it's, it's important to ask the people that you like, you truly care about and that, um, cause I've started doing this now, like, how would you describe me or, or asking, is that how you really, is that how you see me? Um, but sometimes just getting that input from somebody, if you really want to do the work on yourself, asking somebody that you care about, like, would you describe me as, even if you started out with your own list of who you think you are or who you aspire to be, and then asking somebody that whose honest opinion you, you think you can get out of them and, and say, would you describe me this way? Or honesty is, honesty is definitely key for sure. Yeah. Crazy. I think I probably told this story before, but I remember um, I was told by a counselor one time, a therapist, that I should ask the guys how many of them would trust me with their wives over a weekend. Right. Wow. And I, right. And I was like, they all would. We're, we're you know, we're brothers. And uh, so I, I scoffed at the therapist when, when they asked me to and so I went and asked, not a single one of those dudes would trust me with their wife. And, uh, and that was my turning point. That was my like, wait a second, I'm a puke, you know? And, uh, that was my, you know, and I, yeah, that was, I wow. was a puke. So I still am. I just working on it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that all of us though? Wake up calls. Yeah. yeah. We all get wake up calls. Well, I had a completely different view of myself than what the guys around me were viewing me as, you know, and if they can't trust you with one aspect of their lives, they can't really trust you with their, their lives, you know? And so that was, um, and so that was a big wake up for me is, is how important integrity was in small team stuff, you know? So mm. Laura, I've been taking some notes, but I didn't write down the original question. Can you say it again? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. What would you say to someone who is looking up to you three right now as strong men, as dangerous men, and they don't see themselves that way yet, but they aspire to be that way? And they don't have, maybe they came from a fatherless home or they don't have a mentor to go to. Can they do that themselves? Should they reach out to someone what what should they do? Well, first of all, look up to Jeff and to JT. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, Jeff said it's very personal. I, I think a lot of this can be done by yourself, but that takes a lot of a lot of 
brutal honesty and being willing to expose and admit admit the depth of fault. And I think that's hard for us to often see times see the depth of things within ourselves that can be fixed. Uh, that that takes a lot of harsh honesty. Um, and I, I too, I you know, I, I do believe in a. I do believe in a God and I do believe in what the Bible says. And I think that if with, with that type of depth of introspection, you can use that rule book to, to help yourself. But, but for the vast majority, um, I think that's hard for us to do. And so therefore the help of those who care about us, who are willing to be brutally honest in loving ways, JT is talking about, right. Um, that can be, you know, the, 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 what what's the quote? The harsh words of a loving friend or or a thing, right? Um, it can expose a lot to yourself because though though we may see ourselves a certain way, others oftentimes see the side that we won't acknowledge or that we don't understand, and and therefore their candid response to how do you see me? How would you describe me? I, th- I think is, is is so deeply necessary, and then be willing to ad- acknowledge what they may be seeing that you may be, we, we may be denying. Um, um, And I do think that if, if you're worried about it or want to talk to somebody about it, going to counseling is not a bad idea, right? There are people that have studied this on a professional level for years because of a general love for, for their fellow human being. And that's what the, the calling they're called to to help us examine ourselves and think of it, I guess I look at it as a mechanic, right? Occasionally I take my truck into the mechanic just for a checkup and a tune-up and fixing little things. Um, Even if you think that you're just fine, sometimes going to the mental, emotional mechanic is not a bad idea for somebody who's a professional in this area to help you see see or or work on things, right? Just like in marriage, right? Good marital counseling now and then is no different than getting a good oil change and just a tune-up and verifying where you're at. Um, for guys and girls who have experienced PTS, right? Uh, I, I know too many uh, in my world who sat there and said, man, I was one of them. I'll never do that. I don't need that, right? I don't need some shrink. I don't need somebody, you know, and I, I tell you that was a mistake at the time to not do that. And so going to those is a good idea. From there, from there, right? Once we've examined ourselves and worked on ourselves and found the many areas that we can we can improve on through the brutal honesty of it all. Um, from there, I think part of part that you need to become is is honestly the same thing I'm looking for in my students that I want to build in them. I, I want my students, um, male or female, doesn't matter to me, to become the most dangerous person in the room anywhere they go. Yet also the most empathetic, the most kind, the most careful, the most thoughtful, the most everything. Yet able to flip the switch and go to extreme violence immediately without thought. They pre-thought through it ahead of time by by decisions ahead of time. Um, they, they've become comfortable with being being the the kindest, the best, the everything else, but also the best at the violence that they may need to be able to use, and be able to flip 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 that switch. Eddie, Eddie, uh, I you guess you call him a SWAT sergeant, my SWAT commander. He once came in, and uh, we were talking about violence and talking about gunfights, and one of our guys had just shot somebody, put somebody down, and uh, you know a lot of agony over that, and a lot of bravado over that, and he came in with his cheapo dumpy cup of coffee that he always carried around and you know he loves his coffee and he suddenly dropped his coffee and he's like oh crap he's like you know what fine i'll just go get another one 
he's like, boys and girls, he goes, understand that cup of coffee dropped was on purpose. Um, he goes, if you get yourself into that gunfight that day, that defensive encounter, you had to pull a knife, you had to stab somebody, you had to, you had to punch somebody in the face, right? You had to flip that switch immediately. It should be no different, no matter how traumatic it is, than dropping your cup of coffee, right? When it's truly boiled down to the nuts and bolts of it, when it's time to use violence as the tool that it just is, you've got to be able to do it without thought because the preset decisions ahead of time and then instantly realize you were called to that, you were meant to do that, you needed to do that, or at least somebody had to do it, and you're the one prepared mentally and physically to do it. So therefore, it should be no different than spilling a cheap piece of, a cheap cup of coffee and you simply go get yourself another one. And, and I, I would like to build that same mentality on the people that I get to deal with is, hey, become extremely good at this very low likelihood event, which is use violence. Very low likelihood event. Be very, very good at it. Yet if it does happen, be accepting and willful or willing for it um, so that it's, it's a no big deal event to you at this point. Because too often we've not built that mindset. Now we get soldiers coming home from war and they're drowning their sorrows in a bottle than a needle and, you know, smacking the wife around one time too many or in addictions, whether it's games or books or isolation or something, or they suck start their gun, right? Um, or they something because they've not built that mindset that, hey, violence is a tool. It's good. It's appropriate. You should be able to use it extremely quickly without thought because you've decided ahead of time. And then just simply go your live your life. And I think that's a continuous cycle of the self-examination, the honing of the craft, but more importantly, the honing of the mind and the heart. And and that's what I would like to see people be able to do on a continual basis from the defensive aspect of what I do. You make it sound so simple. I don't know if it is that simple, but... No, not at all. But it really is. When you boil it down, it's not at first, right? The, the way I saw it, to me, the whole issue of violence was kind of a big deal, right? I grew up in a, in a kind pastor's home. My goodness, after a bit, you just realize it's a tool and some people need to weld that tool often and that's okay. And that's right and righteous. Um, it just has to be welded correctly. And, and when it's welded correctly, it's a no big deal event. Now our litigious system in America might make it a big deal event, but it's really not. It's just something that had to be done. And it's a very hard thing to do until you've built that mindset, that heart set. Then from that point forward, keeping that in check with yourself all the time, it's just simply, I guess the way I look at it, I was called to it. Okay, next. Hmm. What do you guys think about that? Well, that's a healthy way to cope. That sounds, that to me, that's uh, a great way of um, not lingering you know guys too often will will try to go back and correct the past you know let's say man if i just would have gone left instead of right if i would have just done this or that you know and uh all of those things that's neat but you can't do anything about it so creating that mindset right away and said well i did what i had to do and that's my job or that's what i was called to do and i did it if and i think you're right if you're second guessing what you then you should not be doing that that line of work um with that said i i have always just found a different crutch i always say better them than me is is yeah. has been my mantra for the entire you know 20 years and so i i say it almost every time and so long story long story short is that uh that's my thought process um but that's how i 
justify work violence you know i don't know jeff what do you do um well outside of i think i think mindset's one thing but i think it all everything that that like you you talked about adam um also record like you get that mindset from experiences and i think you have to have those those experiences to become familiar with violence to be to like i think it's a it's like dating, right? Like you, you meet somebody, you hadn't met them before you thought, you thought you had this picture of who you who somebody was going to be or whatever. And then you, you get to know them and then you go live with them. And it's like, Oh, shit, what the hell did I do? <laughs> and it's just like you, but you like, you get to know the good and the bad. Right. And I think that's what we've all come to really understand is that there's bad things. Sometimes you have to do bad things. Sometimes you're you see bad things. Sometimes these bad things happen. They're bad things. Um, the the re, they become they affect us internally, emotionally, and spiritually, and things like that because they're kind of meant to. Like really deep down, we're just these like gooey organisms that um, survival is our number one instinct, plain and simple. And all of that kind of comes back those primal things that we've really detached ourselves from because we become so plugged into a system that doesn't require us to go out there and bag game or you know we can go to the grocery store like all those different things that that most people are dependent upon that they have no concept of having to survive on their own or anything like that i think right i'm getting way deep down here but my whole point is that like it's your experiences that start to really like you start to understand more about situations that you thought you knew about. You start to understand more about yourself, other people that you thought you knew about either way. And so if people, um, that's why I know there's like the saying embrace the suck, but I always say like seek the suck because the first time things get sucky is not the time really necessarily where you want to be learning from it. Right. That's why put yourself out there. It's intimidating to go to a, a, a a martial arts class, a, like a, a shooting class, it's intimidating. You, you know, you always wonder, am I going to be the worst shooter out there? Yeah. Go be the worst shooter out there. Go be yeah. the absolute worst shooter. But because if your mission is the, is to go to a shooting class where you're going to be the best person there, like what are the, where's the, where's the growth in that, right? Like you're going to really learn, go there regardless of whatever everybody else's experience level is and feel the embarrassment, feel the whatever you're going to find most of the time that it was all in our heads that, that there was going to be any level of like, you know, like people snickering at you or whatever. It's, it's just, um, but those experiences are what give you the awareness that allow you to level up, to allow you to be introspective, to develop the, you're like, you're only going to get wisdom from experience. Like there's only so many YouTube videos you can watch of mm-hmm. how to shoot or how to how to do anything, right? Like it's it's the false sense of confidence, and I I think that's really what stops a lot of people is that they don't want to do sucky things. They don't even think about it because it's just they don't even make it an option. But go out there, get hurt, like go play paintball. Paintball hurts, you know. Just to, just go do anything that's gonna be just outside of your comfort zone to keep kind of pushing the envelope for yourself and building the, like you only build resiliency by, by getting the opportunity to be resilient. Right. Like they say the same thing about like, how do you, the only way for you to be courageous and brave is to be in situations where you're called to either be courageous and brave or roll over and die. 
Mm-hmm. Don't go put yourself in a situation where you have to roll over and die. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Laura, I got to tell you, I think you could actually, in the manliest man way, talk about this pretty well, right? I've watched your journey as you've gone into some hardcore physical fitness and a lot of uh, a lot of gun stuff that has kind of pushed your buttons and, and pushed you. And you've been through some fires recently. And it just, it seems like though you started this whole conversation with, you know, manly man or whatever it is, right? Like, <laughs> strong men. Me, strong men. Sounds yeah. to me like this applies just as much to you knowing you um, as it does to any of us here. What are your thoughts? Hmm. I don't really think it matters if you're a man or a woman for sure, but um, I think I agree with Jeff with daily practice is important and, you know, putting yourself in uncomfortable positions on purpose. Is it weird that I actually, there's a tiny little piece of me in the middle of the sock that actually kind of enjoys it? Thrill. Oh, that's a normal. Tiny piece of me that likes it. Thrill. I always kind of thought that was weird, and I don't know what that is, but there is a piece of me that likes it. So I think that's more of an elite thing than it is a normal thing. I shouldn't say it's normal. I think I think people who uh, are the cream of the crop will find that joy in in the worst things. You know, and I so like cool the work. I like to work. There's something yeah. in good work that really is fulfilling and satisfying, even when it's really uncomfortable. Now there's levels of uncomfortableness, right? <laughs> so I'm working to get my comfort zone, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger where other people's zones are like this big around. I'm already out here, you know, and you can tell that in one workout. Yeah. And so that's just yeah. one way that you can help practice uncomfortability. But another way that I've worked on that is by being being very self-aware in my day-to-day interactions with people in my life, in the relationships in my life, both personal and professional, and trying and even like during a firearms training class, trying to level up my self-awareness so that I can be better for the people I'm serving. And, and when you do that, then you can, if, if you're at a, if you've worked up to a certain level, you can check yourself in real time and, and make that decision, that pivotal moment point in the road. How am I going to, am I going to respond this way? Or am I going to respond that way? And instead of just being reactive to everything around you, and that requires a level of self-awareness. I think a lot of people don't have, or, um, should should strive for i think i think that helps everything in your in your life maybe that's really vague to say do you guys kind of get what i'm saying there yeah and then i think having having a true north compass is really important too for me when i start waving off of my compass compass a little bit and not being in the in the word and not knowing where my true focus should be i start looking selfishly we talked about selfishness earlier i start to get selfish and think about myself more than others and then that's when the focus changes and that's when all of my actions and behaviors follow that and that doesn't 
that doesn't net good results for me. So that's another checkpoint I have to constantly work on. Like, I mean, like daily <laughs> or, or more, more than once a day sometimes. So. So all this stuff that you guys are saying, I can relate to on some level, not the violence, obviously. Um, I mean, I've encountered violence in my life, but not in the way that you guys are really describing. Um, but you're right. The only the best teacher is experience. And yet, as we've all said, none of us want anybody we know to have to experience that if you can help it. Right. Um, and though experience is going to be your best teacher, I think some, not all, a portion of this can be with a lot of, I guess, mental imagery, um, reading and thinking and hearing about it, talking about it, breaking down the things you see in violent encounters and deciding what would I do in that moment if it went this way, what would I do, right? What we called in the military, if then, what I tend to call when then, right? Breaking that down into the if thens is as nuanced as possible. I think you can build some of this through mental experience than the physical experience, not all. The, the physical experience is, is something that to truly become comfortable within it and, and okay with it, that, 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 that I, I, I would tell you that physical experience is a needed necessary component. Um, but it's not wanted. And as much as possible, I think the mind and the heart can begin to prep for a lot of this by simply thinking it through deeply, discussing it, making a lot of decisions ahead of time. And I, I think that for those who've never had to experience it, that is one of your best ways to get there is by talking to people like these two heroes here, right? Jeff and JT and, and, and getting their experience and then imagining yourself within that too. Any parting thoughts, guys? I feel like I'm taking way too much of your time. My wife has texted and called multiple times and I've had to hit the X. I'm just uh -oh. watching. I'm watching. Uh -oh. She's like, just give me five minutes of your time. And I don't think she remembered that I had to do this. So oh, no. she is. You're already in this. the doghouse. What are you going to do? I'm, I'm, no, I'm not in the doghouse. <laughs> No, she forgave me. Instantly. She forgave you I, already. I, oh, I apologized to her immediately afterwards. And oh. I just said that was uncalled for. I can't treat you like the boys. And, uh, <laughs> and oh, oh, there you again. go. Oh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, anyway. All if right. You need so, to go, JT. That's okay. I do. I need a boogie okay. out of here. So, all right, guys. I love you. Thank you, Jeff. It's really nice meeting you, Adam. Can't wait to catch up with you again, and we'll you talk soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Be yeah. safe. See you. Right. Yep. Anything else before we wrap up, guys? Covered a lot in a short amount of time. We kind of went off in the ditch, but it wasn't a bad ditch. It just was like, okay, I guess we're going there. I'm okay with that. Jeff, I got to tell you, I deeply appreciate your your thought process, your your carefulness of how you think and speak. Uh, you're very good at the verbal imagery that causes mental imagery, and uh, you connect well. And uh, boy, what a what a credit it is to sit and listen to you. And I've taken a lot of notes just listening to you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it.
This is an interesting conversation. It's very philosophical, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a big topic to try and and tackle. And it's, it's a, um, I know I've been noticing more and more books coming out on these types of things. And I actually think it's a good time to do it. You know, like the reports are now that 75% of the recruit of, of men at recruiting age, or actually, I think it's, it's men and women, but are not, they're not um, like they can't go into the military. Like they're just not, they, they don't meet the standard and yeah. in the military, 75%. And a lot of it's due to uh, being overweight, like health issues. I think also just mentally not prepared for it. Um, and I think that that speaks to how, you know, how, what we're doing with our, the generations that are coming up. And so I, and I think it, it is a lot deeper than, I think it is, I mean, there, there is a lot of physical, physicality too. Like we, we talk about that strength foundation. We've talked about this before about brain, body and backbone. And it's like, you're, it's really easy to go and just judge yourself based upon how great of a shooter you are, or how great you can roll on the mat in BJJ or whatever it is, right? Like, like where are the benchmarks for us that we because we want to call ourselves warriors or strong men. Like, I don't like your question about like, what would a, a person who sees themselves as, as weak, like what, what next steps do they think? Like, I don't know. I started to think like, I don't know that many people would ever call themselves that, but maybe I'm wrong because I think my son, I know struggles. He's 21 years old. And I think that he really, maybe it's because of social media, but he really, compares himself to other people. And I think if you do that, there's, you're always going to see, I think you naturally see people that you want to be Mm -hmm. like, or, or whatever. Right. And then if you're not that person, then you're not at that level. And so it's easy to come down on yourself that way. And I think one of the things I've learned over time is to, is to really just be observant and conscious about and compare myself with, with the me that I know I'm capable of being. And I think that's where I spend most of my time these days in, I think a lot of guys feel like they are not doing enough or you're failing in, in a lot of ways. And so for me, it's my comparison about who I know I can be and where I'm currently at. Physical side of it's the easiest thing to look at. Like I'm not a, an accept myself as I am kind of a person, I'll look in the mirror and it takes like the drill sergeant to come out and say like, what the F man? Like what? <laughs> like, seriously, you had to have the ice cream last night, didn't you? And so, <laughs> I, like I need to be hard on myself because the soldier in me would never let me get to that level. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I know where my pants size stops and <laughs> the pushed, of the day. I pushed it. Like I have no worries. Like I, all right, I'm starting to, but it's like, but there's like, I've had enough and yeah. I'll never, like, I know my limits there, but I think it takes a lot of, um, I don't know, I guess going back to honest assessment of yourself, but I think that the people that would, uh, this, I don't want to go too deep with this, but I don't know. I think people call themselves strong but haven't really tested themselves to see if they'd be able to perform in the moment. And I say that mostly because 
I've just seen so many instances in combat where people that I would have called strong uh, just really crumble. They fail. And it's not like I'm okay. Like I understand that on a personal level, like on an individual level, there's personal challenges and strengths you go through, right? But we're a squad. We're a platoon. We have a mission. We have an objective. We have a role. Like you, every single person <clears throat> has a role there. And that's why in the military, like basic training, they're going to, they're going to erase who you, what your identity was before you got there. And everybody gets spit out of basic training with no hair, you know, and it's just like you, you've got to, you come out kind of the same, but it's when you're tested like that in real life that, um, that's when you really find out what you're made of. And I think most people have will, won't ever really be tested that way. But when you are, it's like, how do you prepare for that? that, that I think it's a, that's kind of a hard question. I'd love to get your, your perspective on that, Adam, because it's like, we all trained for the same thing. We all went out to the, to the woods. We all, we all did all the same training. We went through everything together, but it wasn't until bullets started flying that you really saw how somebody was going to operate like then. Right. And I think that you, if you're not even at that level, like I, that's why I try to tell people like, you got to take an honest assessment of yourself and you still probably don't even really know how you're going to perform if you've never performed it. Cause there's so much of this overconfidence. And I think that's why a lot of gun owners don't train is because they just think the magic talisman, I bought my magic talisman. I can name all the nomenclature. I can go on forums and make fun of people that use the word clip instead of magazine. Like those people, if they don't really put themselves in like force on force training or something that's going to really test what you can do, I, I got like, I don't know how to get across to people. Like you really don't know. You just, mm -hmm. you don't know. And so how do you, the only way to know is to really get yourself in as close of a situation as you possibly can where you can fail now, fail now so that you don't fail when it's the real thing. And I think I just, I was just all over the board there, but I, I again, I think it's, um, it's the, uh, how do you, how do you test yourself? How do you test your truth? I know what you think you believe of yourself, but, mm -hmm. and, and on the other side too, cause that's, that's what got me thinking like, okay, well, if somebody thinks they're weak, is that true? Cause I've seen people that I would have called weak. Yes. In the military, because I mean, you guys know that. I mean, you know, you get the guys that come out like they their uniform sloppy, like like they just look weak. Like they've just got the weak uh, comp. Was it compos? Not composition. There's a there's a word I'm looking for. I can't find it. But comportment or something. But yeah, constitution. Yeah, like a weak constitution. But then I've seen those people just rise to glory when when the chips were really down, and I don't. I don't know. It's like, I don't, I don't know how to, that's our whole mission is to try to get people to just to do something to test their truth, find that gap, be willing to fail because filling in that gap in between what you think is going to happen and what really happened. That's all we do in the military. Like once you get out of your, once you're getting in your unit, when you're not in, in a combat mission, like you're out training, you're going out there to make your, that's why there's an after action review after your training is what did we, what did we screw up? Like, what did we realize that we, now that we didn't, we didn't think we would realize like that's all the military does is just to keep fine tuning, keep training and just be ready for that moment so that you don't make those mistakes when it's life or death and somebody's not coming home to mama. That's like, 
get yourself in situations where you can really test your own truth. And that's the hard part, right? In the civilian world where you're not going to be in those, in those instances is about the only way I think you can do that is put yourself into the harder situations for you. If for you running a marathon sounds ridiculously, stupidly hard, maybe start training for the marathon, right? If, you know, if, if, you know, uh, people bag on CrossFit, if CrossFit or some variation of functional fitness, is extremely hard for you and you don't think you can do it and you're afraid you're, you're weak, go do that. Right. Um, you know, in the shooting world, go to competitions, go be willing to continually fail forward, right? Go be the worst guy or girl there. Go, go be it. I, I failed many a time in those things. And, 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 I was, I was fortunate enough to join the military later on in life. I think I was 23 or 24 when I finally went in, um, went into full-time army. Um, and, and I think because I'd failed in a business, in fact, I failed two different businesses. Um, I'd, I'd failed in multiple areas and, and constantly grew up idolizing the soldier, the, the police officer, the warrior, the, the whatever, and read those things and had a lot of conversations about that stuff with my dad and others that a lot of things were pre-thought through, yet uh, the vast majority of the civilian that came into the military that I saw, and even to the police world later, they just kind of idolized the whole thing and just jumped in. There wasn't a lot of thought ahead of time, nor the maturity. So they weren't able to prepare for it. And, and, and in that instance, it seems like for the Joe Jane civilian, the best thing you can do is go find the hard things for you and force yourself to do them on a daily basis. I was always in awe. I, I to this day, walk away in awe at a couple things I've done in life that I worked so hard for and never thought I could do yet somehow ultimately was able to do it, realizing that's the very best of me. And I know I can get there on occasion. It's hard to do, but the only way to do that is by going and challenge yourself in the areas you're truly terrified or scared of. And, and that is, I think, building that internal mental and emotional resilience by constantly facing the hard, constantly facing the hard for you, whatever that is, um, that that builds you for the time when the, the violence is there or others that you can act and react a little bit more a little bit better because you'll never know. You're, you're right, Jeff. You, you don't know. I mean, first time bullets went by my head, I froze. I froze for probably five or four or five seconds. I mean, I froze. You know, I'll forever be embarrassed that day of having froze because I always imagined I wouldn't. But then, you know, the decisions ahead of time, the thought through ahead of time, the hardship I'd gone through ahead of time, I believe in retrospect now kicked in in that moment of four or five seconds of freezing. And then my body just went into the pre-thought through decisions ahead of time. And I think if you if you go into that hard rigorousness that's for you and you think through these things ahead of time, determine in your heart, when my time comes, I will not do this. I will do this. You have a higher likelihood of not reacting poorly in that moment. And that's the only way the average Joe Jane civilian, I think, can face it as, as much as possible. You know, doing things like you talked about, the force on force, um, but that's the only way, because if not, they don't get the experience that you've had, that I've had in, in the violence, nor do we want them to, to have that if, they, if they can help it. So I think that's the only way they can get there. And even then, it's always going to be a guess until that moment. But the more you build it ahead of time, the more likely you're to act and react in a way that would be a credit to you and to others later and possibly life saving. And the only way you're going to know 
is by go facing the hard for you on a daily basis, I think, and or at least on a continual basis. And that's that's all you can do in the civilian, civilian world, I think. When I think a majority of people aren't even willing to do slightly uncomfortable things. I'm sorry to say it, but I, I my opinion is a majority of people are incredibly lazy. I mean, and it's part of our culture. It's our society. We've created it and and fostered it and encouraged it even. And so that's kind of sad lazy. for me. Huh? I don't know if it's lazy or if it's dormant. Like you said, our culture has mm. fostered it. I wonder if it's more dormant than anything, because I think that when the when the true hardship really happens, um, there's something about about the human nature that rises, mm. uh, and 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 they find that dormant that's in there. Unfortunately, part of our job for what you do, or your life. I mean, my goodness, look at look at the influence you have. What you do, Laura, Defenders Life. What I do with Defenders USA is to try to somehow motivate the awakening of what's dormant within them. And and that laziness that seems like laziness on a surface level, because it really realistically physically is lazy or mentally is lazy. I really think it's just it's been fostered by our community, but fostered by our culture. And it's just it, it's just it's become accepted and understood and allowed. Um, I'm mentally struggling with confronting a dude I uh, right now that I know and love, and he's becoming a fluffy cop. And I'm sitting there going, you're going to have to fight your way out of that burning car someday or try to drag somebody there or drag your buddy or your sister off somewhere, right, as well you're trying to save their life. Or you're going to have to run that 300 yards and make that shot someday. You're going to have to this, that. Hey, buddy, it's time to put down the 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 fat pills, right? Called donuts and everything else. It, it's, it, 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 I think we've allowed it to be acceptable and people like us have to become the motivators in as best a way as we can to others to wake up that dormant state that they have. And I, I found the, as I've traveled the world all over, there's no harder working people in, on the face of the earth than the American. But again, a lot of people work hard all over the world. But we tend to allow the comfort needs of our society to let that hardworking mentality go away. So we've got to find a way to motivate that dormancy to go away. And, and I think that's one of our primary missions in life. And that's how we rebuild those who have the warrior heart inside that they don't know about, that they it just needs to be awakened. Hmm. Yeah, well put. Yeah. You need to go, Jeff. I assume we all do at this point. Yeah, I do. That's a long, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I was planning on an hour, so I apologize, Jeff. Is there anything no, you want okay. to say? Uh, no, I think uh, I, I love what, what Adam just said. And I, and I think that um, it ties in with what he was saying earlier. And I think it's really important to um, because it's natural, like everybody's going to freeze in the face of danger. It's just a matter of how short do you make that? Because, you know, the OODA loop really is the OODA loop. So your brain has to recognize that there's a danger and then you have to orient on it. Like, I know OODA is much deeper than that, but but there's always going to be, like your brain has to process the information. And so the more training you give it, the more experience you give it, the more wisdom you, that, that's based on that experience that you give it. Like those are the things that if you can get those to really lodge in your brain, that's the data that's going to help you shorten that freeze point and, and take fast, decisive action very, very quickly 
that could save your life. But if you've never experienced anything outside of your comfort zone, if you've never put yourself in those those trying situations where you're testing yourself, then you really don't have any, I mean, if you just look at it mechanically, you don't really have any of those little data sets there mm-hmm. of those little anchors to be able to, for your brain to be able to reach out and grab and say, do this, run here, mm-hmm. grab your gun, whatever it is. Like if you can't think through that, you can't watch a YouTube video on that. You can't just say what you're going to do. You actually have to do something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Beautifully said. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.